Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm so glad you could join us at home today. Question. What is a human being? Well, you'd need a bunch of words to give an adequate answer to that <coughs> question. There are a physical person, a relational person, a mental person, an emotional person, a spiritual person, and you can't just separate out those parts because a human being is an integrated whole. It's similar if you were to say, what is the church? Again, you'd need a bunch of terms to build up an integrated picture to see what God says the church is like and says it's meant to be. Hence this series we're going through, Reforming Church, in which we're asking, what did each of these eight New Testament words for the church originally mean? The ones we've been looking at are people, family, community, temple, unity, body, disciples, and witnesses. And then, of course, we're asking as well, what do they look like for us now here today as we reform church, both, I guess, in lockdown and then after lockdown? Today, we're going to look at the term disciples. Now, disciple is an English translation of a Greek word used in the first century, mathetes. It was used in everyday first century life for someone who was a trainee, someone who was a learner, someone who was a follower, someone who was an apprentice, a pupil, someone in the process of learning from their teacher and learning to become more like their teacher. And so after Jesus was around, Disciple became the normal word to use for someone who was a follower or an apprentice or a trainee of Jesus. It's a word, disciple, that we're going to find in the passage we're going to read today in Acts chapter 11, which should appear in front of you. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. Look out for the term disciples as we read this. Now, those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord." News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and so basically they sent Barnabas to check it out in Antioch, see what was going on. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first, were called Christians first at Antioch. The point of that passage for today is this. Note that in verse 26 we read this. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You see, Christian wasn't the usual term for an early follower of Jesus. In fact, it's a term only used three times in the New Testament, each time because those who are not Christians are calling the people who are followers of Jesus Christians. So it's not a Christian, if you like, term for those who were following Jesus. In fact, Christian may have started out as a bit of mickey-taking. 
certainly as a nickname for those who were followers of Jesus called Christ. They were the people around, those who weren't followers of Jesus, were calling those who were followers of Jesus like little Christs or people of Christ or Christ types, Christ ones, those people who are following and think a lot of Jesus Christ. So up to this point in Acts, believers, those who are following Jesus, have referred to themselves as saints and brethren and believers and people of the way. But most commonly in the book of Acts, anywhere in the New Testament, the most common self-designation is disciples. Let me give you an example. In Acts chapter 9, there are seven uses of that term, disciples. In verse 1, Saul, who was going around, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Verse 10 of Acts chapter 9, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and so on and so on. Those who are following Jesus are constantly being referred to as disciples. Now, a disciple of Jesus was in the early days and still is today both a position I've decided to follow Jesus and a process I'm seeking to become more like Jesus it's both a position I've taken up and it's a process I'm engaged with I've uh, during the summer I planted some climbers in my garden, and I am no gardener, I can absolutely promise you, but they are growing, amazing. Uh, they're actually flourishing in my garden. And what I did was I positioned them, I put them in place. But then they're involved in a process. They are climbing, they're learning to climb. They're climbers by position and they're climbers because they're actually doing that. They're engaged in a process. So one writer said this of the Christian life, of being a disciple. He said, salvation by grace through faith was a life, not just an outcome. So for someone who becomes a, a follower of Jesus, they make a decision. They cross the line of faith and make a decision. But that's just the beginning. The whole point is that they haven't just positioned themselves to follow Jesus. They are actually doing so. They're engaged in a process of pursuing, of following Jesus. So when we think of the church and all the terms that we've been looking at, we should not just think of a group of people who have a belief. We should think of a people on the move because they're following Jesus. They're pursuing him wherever he's going, they're going. They're in training. They're changing. They're growing. They're learning about him. They're becoming more like him. It's a dynamic process. So that same writer I quoted just now, Dallas Willard, said this, the disciple is one who, intent on becoming Christ-like, systematically and progressively rearranges their affairs to that end. The disciple has decided to follow Jesus, that's a position, and I am working out and rearranging everything in life so that what I'm doing is conforming to someone who's following this person, Jesus Christ. Now, that's a complex process. It can be hugely challenging. And some of us feel like we're not making so much of an advance. One writer said this. He wrote about Jay, one of our church members, who recently shared with me, this writer says, I was a Christian for 22 years. But instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 
22 times. I just keep doing the same things over and over again. Now, I'm absolutely sure that there's a lot of complex stuff behind Jay's statements there, no doubt. Life is challenging and very difficult, but I wonder, I just wonder whether somewhere in that situation of just going round and round and round is something of a static sense of, well, I'm a Christian, I believe, rather than the dynamic process of, I'm a disciple, a follower, a pursuer of Jesus, one who is engaged in that dynamic process. So let me ask you a question. Are you owning that responsibility for the process of becoming more like Christ. I wonder, perhaps you're watching today, you'd say, I'm definitely a Christian, but I wonder, have you owned the responsibility of being engaged in that process of becoming more like Christ? What if you woke up every morning with this kind of New Testament dynamic disciple mentality? It comes from Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That sounds to me like a disciple. What if you woke up every morning and went to bed every night with that kind of mentality? I'm going to throw this stuff off. I'm going to run with perseverance. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm following him. I'm a disciple. But Tim, how do I do that? I understand what you're saying, but how? Here's a simple answer. Listen to him, Jesus, and learn from him and do whatever he tells you. Listen to him and learn from him and do whatever he tells you. There's a story, John records seven signs that Jesus did. The first one in John chapter 2 is of Jesus at a wedding. The wine's run out. It's an absolute disgrace and humiliation and shame on the host. <clears throat> and somewhere in it, Jesus' mother comes to him. He doesn't want to hear at that moment from her. But she goes to the servants and gives the best advice she could possibly have given, and anyone could ever give you. She says this to them, do whatever he tells you. Just imagine what life would look like if you held to that one simple statement. Do whatever he tells you. What sort of a reformed church would we be, even while scattered in lockdown? What sort of a reformed Christian disciple might you be? What kind of positive impact could we have on the community? How many would experience God's grace through us and maybe want to follow him if we did whatever he tells us to do? You might say, yeah, okay, I get that. I see that. Listen to him and learn from him and do whatever he tells you to do. But the question perhaps is a practical question. How do I hear him? How do I hear what Jesus is saying to me? Here's my answer. In his word, by his spirit, and through his body. I'm convinced 
that whatever program a church puts on, whatever systems we put in place, it comes down to this. Hear Jesus in his word and by his spirit and through his body and do whatever he tells you to do. Firstly, hear him in his word. The Bible is Jesus' timeless word to us. It's true now. It's right now. It's his word to you now. And if you want to know him and what it means to follow him and be a disciple pursuing Jesus, there's no alternative to exposing yourself to his word. Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Well, let me tell you, there's a whole lot he's already said. It needs to be read and looked at. And it's clear that Jesus anticipates his followers being doers of his word. Not just learners about it, but doers of it. So he says things like this. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. It's very straight. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. It's interesting when Luke talks about, writes about the early church, he says this, they devoted, these early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Disciples become increasingly like Jesus by becoming increasingly obedient to his teaching. Which, because he's the focal point of all the Bible, means being obedient to everything it contains. So you might want to say, I really want to hear Jesus speak to me. I really want to know what he's saying. Read, study, listen to his living, active word. Famous part of the New Testament says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Disciples do whatever he tells them in his word. And then hear him by his spirit. Jesus, of course, said many things <clears throat> that flew over the heads of his early disciples. One of the things that I think at the time must have seemed the most ridiculous to them was when he said this. I'd love to have seen a picture of their faces. He said to them, it is for your good that I am going away. I mean, how could that possibly be? How could it be a good thing that the Lord and Savior and creator of the universe who's with them goes away? How can that be a good thing? I'd love to see their faces. The clue is in one seemingly simple word that Jesus uses when he explains what he means to them. The word is another. So he said to them, John chapter 14, he said, I will ask the Father because I'm going away, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate or helper to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. That Greek word, alos, for another there can often mean another of the same kind. Not just another person or another thing, another exactly just like me. 
Jesus is saying that he's going, but don't worry because another who is just like me will be with you to help you and be with you forever. This is one of the most extraordinary privileges of the the Christian. There are many. One of the most extraordinary privileges of being a follower of Jesus is to know that he is with me by his Spirit. Just as he was with the disciples, so he is now not limited to one body in time and space, but to everywhere and everyone who calls themselves a disciple. So we hear Jesus in his word, and we hear him by being open to his spirit, speaking, guiding, prompting, directing. That that nudge to speak to my neighbor that reminder to pick up the phone and speak to that person who I know was struggling, that conviction of sin, that prophetic word I think he's giving me for my friend, that sense of peace he's giving me as I'm facing a really challenging situation, that challenge to forgive, all of that, the Holy Spirit is at work. Another, just like Jesus, is with me. The third member of the Trinity is with me, in me, guiding me, speaking to me, directing me. I'm hearing the voice of Jesus as I'm hearing his Spirit speaking to me, helping me to know what he wants of me and to pursue him and follow him more fully and become more like Jesus. Hear him in his word Hear him by his spirit and do whatever he tells you to do. And there's a third way we hear Jesus speaking to us. Hear him through his body, his word, his spirit, and his body. You see, I also learn what following Jesus looks like as I see him at work in his body, the church. If we're the body of Christ, he's the head, we're the body. If we're the body with his life, his spirit in us, I would expect to see him within us, in the community of the church. I'd expect to be inspired by the example of others as they follow Jesus. So Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, And he said, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. You'll know people, if you're part of of CityGate, you'll know people in CityGate who inspire you. You think, I want to be a bit more like them. That's absolutely how it's meant to be. Follow their example as they follow the example of Christ. And I see Jesus in the life of his body together by rubbing shoulders with those who provoke me to greater love and faith. Proverbs 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. How do I grow in following Jesus? I rub against other people. It might be painful at times, but they're sharpening me. They're helping me to know that's what following Jesus looks like. That's what God is trying to do in my life at the moment. One Jewish writer said this, we have to have more than textbooks, we need text people. I love that. That's so good. That's the church. That's how Jesus set the church to be, that I learn from you. I see, I don't just read it, I do read it. I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me and his nudging of me, but I see it as well in text people. So to follow Jesus more fully, 
to know what obeying him looks like, to hear what he's saying to me and wants me to be, I need people like Alan Kenny. Because in him, I see something of how Jesus is passionate for people to have the opportunity to hear about him. I hear the head. I know what the head is thinking in some part through Alan Kenny. That's, oh yeah, that's what Jesus is wanting me to be like. That's what it means to be a disciple of his. I need Andy and Rosie and others in whom I see and am really provoked by the compassion that Jesus has for the destitute. See, Jesus is speaking to me through his body. I need Alan Kendall, who's passionate about prayer and expects miracles. And I'm provoked by that. And I think, yeah, that's what Jesus would be like. And so I want to learn to imitate him as he is imitating the example of Christ. I need Martin and Angela who display the grace of God like I think Jesus would. And through them, Jesus is speaking to me about what it means to be a follower of him. And I need the kids who show to me in their wonderful stage of life what joy and trust can really look like as a follower of Jesus. And I need all of you Because all of you demonstrate something of what it is to be a disciple and to love Jesus fully. Being a disciple of Jesus is both a position and a process. I want to say to you, let's recapture the essence of that dynamic word disciple and follow Jesus by hearing him in his word, by his spirit, and through his body, and then doing whatever he tells us to do. And then we'll be able to make disciples who do the same too. I want to lead you in prayer. Maybe wherever you are, you can repeat this after me. I'll say it once so you know what you might be saying. And then I'm going to lead you to pray the same. I'm going to pray this. Lord, I want to hear you this week in your word, by your spirit, through your body and I'll do what you tell me to do so I'm going to go through that bit by bit maybe where you are you just like to say the same to Jesus this morning Lord I want to hear you this week in your word by your spirit through your body and I'll do whatever you tell me to do Jesus, help us passionately pursue you. Save us from only believing. Save us from any sense of static, I am a Christian. We want to be those sort of Christians who get called disciples because they're just imitating and pursuing and following Jesus. Help us, Lord, to hear you, follow you, do whatever you're telling us to do. Amen.